Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Rick's World Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Corbley. And once again with me here today, we have Dr. Ahmed Jamal to discuss Pakistan's international relations. To get started, I would like to talk about the BJP and how they were elected in 2014. Has this changed politics between India and Pakistan as they are an explicitly Hindu nationalist party? Or relations between the countries already bad enough to the point where it hasn't made much of a difference? You tell me. Richard, that's a very interesting subject. Actually, just before BJP took over, there had been a lot of talks between India and Pakistan at very high level. And because the major issue between India and Pakistan is the state of Kashmir, which is between India and Pakistan, and that state was declared independent and United Nations regulations in 1948, uh, they said that there should be a plebiscite and people of Kashmir should be given a right of, you know, which country they want to be a part of or they want to be independent altogether. So that is that never happened and it's still Indian occupied Kashmir. So that was the major tension between the two countries. And before BJP came into power, actually there were high level meetings between Pakistani prime minister and Indian prime minister trying to resolve the Kashmir issue, which is the major bone of contention between the two countries. However, since BJP came into power, as you just mentioned, that that this happens to be a Hindu nationalist party. And all the peace efforts stalled basically uh, since when the BJP came into power uh, because the background of BJP was basically, it's not only a Hindu nationalist party, it's not only the problem with the Muslims. Uh, India has a huge population of Christians and then the other minority is Sikhs. Then there are a huge population of Muslims, more than in, you know, we have India has nearly 300 million Muslims or plus. And then there are some other uh, smaller communities in India. So the nationalist mentality, which started with the uh, BJP was, do you know that origin of BJP and its leadership actually goes back to an organization called RSS? And RSS was influenced by Nazi uh, ideology, and they even have swastika as their, you know, uh, badge. So when that happened, they did not want to talk to Pakistan in terms of peace, and relations had been really, really tense. And they had there have been no war. However, there had been a continuous little uh, attacks, a small air attack or firings exchange of fires on the borders between the two countries keeps happening. It's almost every other week's occurrence that there'll be an exchange of fire at the border. So the relationship, the answer to your question is, is deteriorated badly since. I would just like to say for our listeners' benefit that swastikas have been used in Indian politics in the past, but the swastika is actually a Hindu symbol which represents well-being. The symbol was hijacked by Nazis and had nothing to do in Hindu terms to do with anything to do with the Aryan race. That said, Dr. Jamal is correct when he says that the BJP have had close ties to far-right groups in Europe, with the Front National of France and the Alternative for Deutschland in Germany 
both visiting the BJP for strategic cooperation in recent years. Sorry for that long-winded interruption, but my next question is to do with the Kashmir region, which you mentioned. The situation uh, that was being attempted to be brokered sounded pretty similar to what was brokered in the Good Friday Agreement in Northern Ireland. Uh, was this an act of strategy to copy what happened in Northern Ireland? Uh, basically, the situation is quite similar because when the British left, they divided the country into India and Pakistan, but they left this particular region, just like our six counties in the north, they just left the problem there. And the problem is that this part was actually a Muslim majority province and state, and they left it. They actually divided a part of Kashmir is in Pakistan, a small part of it, and rest of Kashmir is a part of India. However, because it was a disputed territory from the very beginning, went into United Nations Security Council in 1948, and they decided that there should be a referendum or plebiscite for the people to have the right of self-determination. As a part of that, the status of Kashmir was that it has a special status in Indian constitution, meaning that people from other provinces cannot migrate there or cannot buy property there because it's a disputed territory, because in case they do get independence. In the recent years, when BJP came, they actually took that special status away uh, to let people from other part of India to migrate to Kashmir uh, and to buy property there with a view that it can be, you know, it will change the dynamics and demographics of uh, the state. So that, of course, did not go down well with the Kashmiri people. And when they started protesting against it. So there is a lockdown actually in Kashmir for the last two years. And it is, believe me, it's much worse lockdown than uh, we are facing because of COVID-19 because they even cut the internet and electricity supply for many hours during the day. And women and children are allowed to go out to buy groceries and go to the hospitals. However, the men if they are seen on the street, they are in danger. So that happened and that resulted in more tension between India and Pakistan, obviously. So it is an unfortunate situation. And as in many parts of the world, we need to find a peace agreement, which we may have to get some other countries to mediate because it is bad for the two countries because while you're spending your resources on defense, you could spend the same resources. And that applies to both countries. You could spend the same resources to educate your people. You can have the same resources to provide them a better health care and a better quality and standard of life, which does not happen because your resources, 30% of your resources are going toward defense. Wow, yeah. Actually, I can't believe how severe what you were saying that lockdown is in Kashmir concern. I, I, I did know there was tension about it. Oh, I'm not completely ignorant of the situation, but I did not know that basically young men in the in the region are effectively on house arrest and nothing to do with COVID-19. That seems like... Nothing to do with But there are foreign journalists who actually made their way somehow, I, I would say very brave journalists who made their way as it happens, you know, uh, in all parts of the world, people in this profession, they take risk and they want to find the facts and they go into these danger 
zones, and they found that uh, lack of internet is a big problem because these people cannot actually tell the rest of the world their plight even, you know. So it is, it is a tense situation, but it also results into tension at Kashmir-Pakistan border, and it also results then it travels down to the rest of the border, and there had been, uh, as I said, incidents on the border all the time. So you you, you mentioned that it borders two uh, aggressive countries, or well, countries that have somewhat tension with. Is that other ten other country you mentioned? Is that China or is that another country? You uh, know, actually, Pakistan China relationship had been a very positive throughout the last 70 plus years. The other country is Afghanistan, Ah, which actually is a trouble spot for the last uh, three and a half decades. Uh, There had been the government of Taliban and then there had been American forces came. They took over from Taliban and they had put their own government. And then basically Afghanistan is a country which uh, is basically a site for proxy wars between superpowers. Yes. And that's exactly what happened in the uh, 80s uh, when, you know, 70s and 80s when Soviet Union came to Afghanistan and then America fought Soviet Union on Afghan land. So it was a proxy war. Now what's happening again is that it is a proxy war in Afghanistan because the United States does not have good relations with uh, Iran, as you know, because of so many issues. And Iran would support some of the Taliban factions. And then the China and America, there is, it's not really a cold war, but there is always, because of economic and business reasons, the tensions between China and America. And China, uh, of course, wants to have a stronghold in the region. And they started a very big multi-billion dollars project, which is called CPAC, that's China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. The situation of Pakistan, the problem of Pakistan is because of its very strategic, important uh, geopolitical location, you know, And for Russians and states which got independence from Soviet Union, like Uzbekistan and Turkmenistan and Azerbaijan, those states and China itself, their access to warm waters for exporting their goods has to be through the old Silk Route. If they come through Pakistan in that corridor and then they use Pakistani coast, you know, Uh, to export this stuff. For example, if iPhone is made in China and you have a container load of iPhones which have to go to the rest of the world, either they can go through China-Pakistan economic corridor, which is the old Silk Route. If they go the other route, it is 19,000 kilometer extra travel. Okay. So access to hot waters is very important. And uh, when Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, idea was that they will come into Afghanistan and then they'll come into Pakistan and they'll have access to hot waters. But that of obviously United States got afraid of it and that did not happen. And then Soviet Union was defeated and that ended up in the breakdown of Soviet Union. 
and but still china has had this agreement which is actually a good source of boosting the economy of pakistan because they have built roads through pakistan there's a trans pakistan motorway which is a part of this cpac china pakistan economic corridor project so which is good for chinese economy so that does not go down well with india so they uh, the location of pakistan is that's very important to so many powers uh, you know for their own economic goods you mentioned warm water sir a couple of times are, are you just actually talking about hot water and what major global significance is this happening hot water means that you know the coast your uh, your seaports yes you know the seaports which are at the other end of china and russia yeah. are actually frozen most of the time okay so and the seaports which are pakistani coastal region are obviously warm water so they are seaports which can be operational 365 days a year actually for your transport of goods to the rest of the world you know you have a port which can be used throughout the year as opposed to a port which is frozen at more, you know half the year and the other thing is that even to get to those ports the main production of china is in the region closer to pakistan and as i said that if they have to use the other ports they not only won't be available throughout the year but it will cost them 19000 km extra travel all the products which are coming to the uh, united states and europe from china would be much dearer if they use uh, that mode of transport <laughs> so it's it's economy in the end i recently read barack obama's new book a promised land and in his final chapter he speaks about the process of gathering information about Osama bin Laden's location in Pakistan and the decision to send in a navy seal team to take him out what was the reaction to this in Pakistan as america carried out a strike in a sovereign territory and how is us pakistan relations at the moment as i understand their traditional allies yeah that is actually richard if you allow me to go into a little bit of background Go, go uh, back to that. Yeah. yeah, the background is that when Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, at that time, obviously, America wanted Soviet Union out of Afghanistan for obvious region, uh, reasons that then they will take over this region, you know. So they actually started helping the freedom fighters in Afghanistan which were called mujahideens from where the talibans originated later on. Yeah. So they started helping them and then the freedom fighters got help from other muslim countries you know to get rid of the communists coming into their country. Out of the help they got from other muslim countries a guy called Osama bin Laden who was a very wealthy individual his family had biggest construction company bin laden cons- uh, company in saudi arabia he was more emotional type and he was you know disillusioned with the the way capitalist economy was being run and the saudi royal system so he arrived in afghanistan to help afghans to get rid of the soviet union of course that suited americans so they started funding osama bin laden and uh, his other comrades 
And for many, many years, as a part of that, Osama bin Laden visited the United States, got more funding, and was the best pals with the Americans. And then when Soviet Union was pushed out of Afghanistan, and as actually the cause for breakdown of former Soviet Union was their huge defeat in Afghanistan, which was achieved by not only by those freedom fighters supported by Americans, but Americans could not support those freedom fighters at all, only for Pakistan, because they can only supply them arms and ammunition and all that support through Pakistan. And Pakistan at that time cooperated with America 100% to help America push Soviet Union out of Afghanistan. And then when that finished, then America forgot Afghanistan, left them in the lurch. We were left with millions of refugees from Afghanistan. Out of those refugees, Taliban's originated. And then Osama bin Laden was still there and he joined hand with them. And then 9-11 happened. So basically, the relationship with America and Pakistan had been a very strange relationship. When they need Pakistan, they expect 100% support and help because of its geographic and geopolitical situation. And then when it doesn't suit them, then it goes completely the other way. In the recent times, uh, with Trump administration, Trump administration did not take into consideration the background of BJP in India and RSS. So they started making a defense pact, a pact with India because India is also a neighbor of China. So it suited them to have India you know, on their side in terms of defense. In spite of 20 plus years of 100% support from Pakistan, they deserted Pakistan again and they made a defense pact with India, you know, because of course it suited them. So Pakistan public and Pakistan government, obviously, along with that, has a feeling that Americans have deserted us two or three times after, you know, using us for their proxy wars. So at this time, when China started this China-Pakistan economic corridor, so that was an opportunity for Pakistan. And they thought, well, we tried Americans three or four times, and we were always dropped like a hot potato in the end. So why not China? So now Pakistan has more warm relationship with China, and there are obviously tensions uh, between. Now, question of Osama bin Laden, Yes, uh, he was hiding in a part of Pakistan. And you can never say what the truth is. You know, did Pakistan government know about him being there or did they not? Well, I am certainly not privy to that information. So I don't know what the truth is. But fact of the matter is that, yes, there was a little bit of resentment from Pakistani public that even if he was hiding in Pakistan, uh, but you coming in into an independent country, violating their airspace yes. and attacking where civilian lives could have been put at risk as well. You know, so why did you not take Pakistan government into confidence before you came in? And or you could have said that, you know, look, we believe that Osama bin Laden is hiding 
in this particular place. Are you aware of that? And if you're aware of that, why don't you tell us? Or if you're not aware of this, this is our intelligence. So would you come along with us to arrest the man? So yes, there was a lot of resentment in Pakistani public. You know, they felt that their uh, you know integrity has been you know the independence has been violated, their airspace has been violated, and a foreign country's uh, marines come in and start attacking our land. So yes, that that was the case. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. It, you give a very good explanation there as to as to yeah why Pakistan has probably pivoted from being allies with America to closer tie, closer economic ties anyway with China. Geographically, to me, that would seem to make sense as well. But obviously, uh, China is in the news a lot lately for its camps of uh, Uyghur Muslims. Obviously, Pakistan is a major. It's a it's almost entirely predominantly Muslim country. Is is that seen as an issue within Pakistan, or are the economic ties kind of too strong for the Pakistani government to bring up, or would the Pakistani people themselves be kind of annoyed, even if they don't feel strong enough to bring it up? Well, the honest answer to that is that yes, while Pakistani public would be very concerned about, you know, because you know they would be emotional, they would be thinking that you know. Uh, there is a huge population of uh, Muslims in that part of China who are being kept allegedly in those camps. And as you suggested that maybe economic benefits and ties make you ignore that horrible fact, uh, I think on government level, I think they are probably keeping their eyes closed from that issue. Uh, you know, to quite an extent, yeah. when you ask the Pakistani government authorities, why are you not raising that issue with China? They probably, at the minute, probably because they need China a lot, uh, they probably keep their eyes closed. And what when asked about that, they say, yeah, yeah, we, we did talk to them in private. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, we did raise the issue with them. You know, it's the same thing, you know, as... Uh, uh, us, uh, you know, it's international politics. So I think that element is there that they decide or they choose to not raise that issue very loudly with China. Yeah, but at international level, actually, my personal opinion, Richard, would be that yes, there has been, you know, it is obviously horrible what we hear about uh, that. Muslim community in China who are actually kept in so-called educational camps, you know. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, and I have heard an awful lot on international media about uh, that uh, issue with China because the world is afraid of China because China coming as a big international power economically and all. So any excuse, you know, to you know find human rights violations in China is actually all human rights rights organization raised this issue. On the other hand, Kashmir is actually without any doubt, you know, the atrocities happening in Kashmir for the last uh, two and a half years, well, they're happening for a long time, but particularly yeah. with this lockdown in Kashmir. And I heard 
a woman on social media who said that, you know, do we ever think that what we are going through with this lockdown and we are sick of the lockdown and mental illnesses and everything and economy being destroyed, do we ever think that, you know, what about people who are in a worse lockdown for the last two and a half years and that's not because of a natural disaster, but as compared to human rights organization raising the Chinese issue, I don't see Kashmir issue being raised as much by the human rights organization, you know. No, I, I, I have to say if I can interject uh, you know, for a second. Um, no, I completely I completely get what you're saying because I would I would consider myself a fairly um I, I follow international news as much as I can. And yeah, as you said, I had heard about the, the Uyghur educational camps, numerous, numerous sources over the last few years, but um, I knew there was issues in Kashmir, but I'd never heard about this lockdown for two years. And that's that's me, a fairly regular. So, so as you said, it's not been nearly as highlighted and there possibly is a political reason as that as Pakistan's not seen as, yeah. a, as the, an international threat as much so. Other thing is that actually whenever in the in the last 30 years history of this world, whenever there's genocide or whenever there are atrocities happening, at the very end of that, uh, the world powers wake up and then take the perpetrators to international court of justice when they are in their 80s or 90s, and then they, you know, convict them, as it happened in Serbia for Bosnian uh, genocide yeah. and also with the Nazis, you know. But there's no attempt made to stop that extreme nationalism and, you know, basically neo-Nazism in its at its very inception. You know, if they control this now, then 10 years down the road, they won't be able to say, oh, God, there had been genocides and it had been really bad. And then, you know, so they need to wake up now and stop extremism anywhere in the world. You know, even, you know, from the United States, the extreme right wing people to uh, Kashmir to in India, basically the situation in India is, that the nationalist government, extreme nationalist government, is, you know, the Christian missionary schools. I studied in a Christian missionary school in Pakistan. Yeah. You know, I, I studied in Sacred Heart Cathedral School, and I, you know, my teachers were Irish, actually. Okay. And uh, I also studied in Foreman Christian College, you know, for my further education. At the same time, in India, there are thousands of Christian missionary schools and there's a huge christian population in india what the nationalist government in india is doing is they are actually closing the christian missionary schools they are actually making life difficult for a you know a very good education system which missionaries uh, established in india you know you know the mother teresa and her whole institution in Calcutta, you know. Yeah. That is being targeted just because they're not Hindus, you know. So yeah. nationalism of that level is very dangerous. And that's what happened in Germany. That's what happened in Serbia, uh, you know. And no matter where this, and if you have any such trends in the United States, 
you know, they are dangerous. So I think that we have a lot to thank for being a part of European Union, that we are, you know, we have a liberal mentality, we have a liberal agenda. So uh, I think that we should, you know, promote that for the rest of the world. No, you know, no, that's I, I, I'm a big supporter personally of European Union because of the fact that when it comes to human rights, when it comes to liberalism, you know, you you can very well proudly say that Europe is not lacking. Yeah, no, that's... You know, what, that's what, not happening in China. That's not happening in India. Yeah. Parts of other, you know, uh, we should, we have a lot to thank for. <laughs> yes, we absolutely do have a lot to be thankful for. And once again, thank you so much, Dr. Ahmed Jamal, for providing us with a fascinating information on Pakistan and its global role. Thank you very much, thank you. Hi everybody, some bonus content here. Since the interview, I've read two books on the region. The first is A Thousand Splendid Sons, which is a fictional tale of what it was like to live as a woman in Afghanistan over the last roughly 50 years. The book is naturally very sad in places, but it shows how courageous people can be against the odds. The other book I have read is called Prisoners of Geography. This is a fascinating book, and I'm a little annoyed at myself that I didn't read it at an earlier point. The book talks about ideas such as warm water ports that Dr. Jamal spoke about in this podcast. It states the strategic importance of places like Crimea for Russia, or how the Himalayas have stopped conflict between China and India in the past, as there is a clear dividing line between the two countries. I'm just going to say, I have a host of interviews coming up, and I look forward to sharing them all with you. Join me again in two weeks' time.